Hello, and welcome into episode 24 of the Stomp the Bus podcast. My name is Mark Harris, coming to you with my wonderful co-host, Colton Dodgson. A lot of stuff going on today. It's uh, early signing period. We've had a wave of transfers coming in, uh, some ASU guys transferring out, uh, potential news on the Pac-12 TV deal. So uh, a lot going on. Yeah, Would thanks for calling me wonderful, Mark. I don't want to just glaze over that. I know it's been a while since I was here with you. Uh, you got some new, some new digs. You're in your, your, is that your childhood home? Yep. Yep. Back in, uh, back in Tacoma, Washington. Beautiful. You beat, uh, Daniel Ngata there by a week <laughs> or so, but. Yeah. And um, Joe Moore too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's good to see you in your old stomping grounds. Um, so yeah, hope hope the homeland is treating you well, Mark. It's been a nice change of pace. Nice change of pace, uh, for sure. But we got ASU football to talk about and boy, Dillingham and his staff have put in a lot of work. Uh ASU has thirty two commits. Thirty two commits, which is that's that's high school and uh transfer portal uh combined. So just all just they've been just putting the groundwork in everywhere. They've been getting a bunch of high school guys from Texas, uh, two defensive linemen from Zachary, Louisiana, one of whom is a four star, uh, all sorts of transfer. I mean, we've talked about, uh, well, maybe we have, I don't know, Jake Conover's coming in, um, FCS running back Cam Scadabo from Sacramento State. And if you guys haven't watched him, uh, I recommend some of his highlights because uh, he, he looks really good. And then probably the most notable incoming transfer is uh, Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine. So it's yeah. a, a, a lot of guys coming in. Um, Dillingham definitely had to uh, get more players on the roster and just build depth, you know. Yeah, and he, it definitely looks like he, he's got it. You know, it seems like every – couple of days you're, you're seeing new guys making that commitment and that's extremely promising this early on. Right. Um, uh-huh. it, it seems like, I, I don't know. This is just extremely, uh, an extremely positive development. Obviously when I saw the name drew pine, obviously, you know, Notre Dame quarterback, he was, uh, somewhat prominent, um, throughout the year, obviously with, with Notre Dame kind of bouncing in and out of, you know, whatever range they were in this year. I think they opened the year at five, number five in the nation. Uh, right. Yeah. And, you know, just bounced and then kind of picked it up there at the end. Um, but he was probably one of the more notable names on the, the quarterback transfer circuit. Market. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you, you're going through and looking at top 10 lists, he's probably on most of those. Right. Um, so getting somebody to um of that sort of you know I don't want to say like prestige or anything like that um but somebody that notable I think is the right way to put it um that's definitely positive and then you go through this list and you see guys transferring in from uh like Texas Prince Dorba transferring in from Texas and uh Wisconsin um and just Notre Dame obviously two guys Um, from Cal yeah yeah some Cal guys too Wazoo um, linebacker. Right. Like prominent programs. Obviously yep. you've got, and then obviously BYU guys too. You mentioned, um, yep. uh, Conover. I think I said that right. Yeah. Jacob yep. Conover, um, coming in too. And then Tate Romney. Um, so BYU is another one of those prominent programs and guys are choosing to come here, which, uh, is again, a very positive development and something that it's, it's good that it's happening this early, right? Yeah. I think that's the most surprising part is it's already be ASU's already becoming somewhat desirable to these people. So right. um and these players, which is which is great. Yeah. So uh according to two four seven sports, I always call it two four seven. I think it's twenty four seven sports. That would make more sense, right? Yeah. No, yeah. that I I just read it as two four seven because there's not a slash, but That's okay. I think either way people will know what you're talking about. Exactly. Um yeah, according to them, ASU has 50, is 55 overall. Uh, but I, a lot of that's just because pretty much 
all the all of them, at least according to two four seven, twenty four seven, are uh, three star guys. But that's fine. Like this, this is a cl- he's had. How long has Dillingham even been on the job? It's what the twenty first. So a lit like. I feel like a little over a month. No, no, because I don't even think it's when was the territorial cup? Like the twenty eighth of November? Like Oh, that's true. So it's been three weeks since today's the twenty first, like three and a half weeks officially. I mean that's <laughs> that's a lot of people to get in. Um and again, not all of these like I'm gonna say this because there's always the skeptical fan, you know, for anything. It's like they're gonna see that there's aren't any four star guys, which it would be great. I mean, maybe by the end, you know, we're recording this at 3.30 Arizona time on early signing day. So there could be stuff that happens during the show, uh, after the show, whatever. But it's not like the most glamorous class in terms of star ranking, but you need players. And Dillingham and his staff got into this so late in the game, too. Right. And I feel like there's a ton of depth in this class, yes. too. Like you said, the, the ranking might be a little lower because you've got a lot of three-star guys. but uh, there's some four stars sprinkled in there too. I've seen some guys like that, but the fact that they have 31 guys coming in, uh, I think that's what you said it was 31, right? 32. According 32. to 247, yeah. Re- regard 247, right, Mark? Regardless, um, seven a ton, of depth. <laughs> a ton of depth, which I think is extremely important. And then yes. something else that stood out to me too, just in this three weeks since he's been on the job, um, is, you know, he kind of talked about his dedication to bringing in people that want to be here. If somebody wants to leave, he's not going to beg them to stay, that sort of thing. Um, and you see that happening with his staff, too, uh, bringing in people that he's worked with in the past or people who served as mentors to him. That's always the biggest sticking point with a young head coach or somebody who's a first-time head coach um, who needs that experience around whatever it is. People always talk about bringing trusted advisors and people who can help the the coach grow and things like that. And that seems to be what he's doing, too. And furthermore, he's bringing in a lot of prominent. I mean, Sean Aguano is still on staff. Jason Mons is coming over from Saguaro. It seems like they're really, really trying to revitalize that in-state recruiting approach um, and become more prominent from the state. Land, in the state landscape, I guess, which yeah. I think is extremely important too. Very important, uh, and that, and you've really seen that in the transfer, uh, the the transfers coming back in, you know, um, right. Uh, in state uh, guys, the Carlos Brooks Chandler player, um, Crew Jackson, I think he was from <laughs> yeah, comes in from Kansas State. Kansas right? state. Uh, Tristan Monday, I want to believe. Was Saguaro comes in from Wisconsin. Jake Smith, we didn't mention him. Um, he's been around the block, uh, Texas and USC, huge high school recruit coming back to Arizona. Uh, so obviously Conover and Romney, you mentioned. So that's a big deal. And then, but, but I think another thing that's important is it's, it's not just solely former Arizona high school coaches that are recruiting too. Like you bring in, uh, Samples and Carrington, who have really looked like great additions already. You bring in Brian Ward as the Wazoo defensive coordinator, and I, I spoke about this last episode. Like they, Wazoo had one of the better defenses in the Pac-12, so to bring in someone like him is a great sign. And Dillingham, when asked about it, the reasoning he gave was, "Well, I went up against him, and his defense was a pain in the butt." It's like that—that's the—that's the exact right mindset you want, you know. Right, exactly. Wazoo's defense, I mean, take the Apple Cup out of it, but Wazoo's defense, for the most part, was was pretty stout all year long, too. So It was, like, top three in the conference. And, by the way, yeah. like, it's freaking tough to recruit to Wazoo. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, just even when, like, things are going great, there's no, like, not in the first year of a coaching search or whatever. Like, it's just tough. It's very isolated. Um, and to have – that kind of a defense is just impressive. Uh, and, I mean, I, I, I'm I impressed with two things, that they've really hit Texas. Uh, seven guys total uh, coming in from Texas, and they haven't ignored the junior college route. Like, that's big. So many ASU players, so many good ASU players in the past came from the JUCO route, you know? Right. 
No, you see a lot of very talented players yeah. in, in any program who come through the, the, the JUCO route. So it's good to get those Well, but not in any program, though, because a lot of programs can't even take them because of the academic stuff or whatever it may be. Um, right. But twice in is you leverage its advantages of, you know, not being, you know, the, <laughs> the most uh, exclusive school in the world and getting these guys in, you know. Like, right. they should so use every advantage like, they have to. Into that. Yeah, um, and apparently, like, some of these guys were pretty sought after. So East L.A. College, offensive tackle, listed at 6'7", 315, Maxwell Ihenachor, I'm probably pronounced that wrong, um, Elijah O'Neal, Butte College, That's I think that's where Aaron Rodgers started, uh, Edge, 6'4", 245, um, there's one more down here. Scott, yeah, Cal Scott, Riverside Community College, offensive tackle, 6'5", 320. Like, yeah, they may not have the, like, acclaim, but clearly they have the size, you know. And, you know, when, going to the JUCO route, like, not all these guys are going to pan out, obviously. But it's just when you're in this stage of rebuilding the program, it's just you need to have depth. Um, Definitely. Because – I mean, ASU did. I don't even think they had a full like eighty-five man roster last year, or whatever the the limit is. So, yeah, it did seem a little light for sure. Yeah, I'm just looking through these. Uh, and so, and, and here's the thing: we're just looking at the twenty-four-seven sports ranking, but according to Rivals, uh, they have two um, two guys that are considered four stars. Uh, they have. So far, at least. Zach, uh, Ashley Williams from Zachary, Louisiana, he's considered a four-star on Rivals. And Sean Russ, a safety out of Fort Myers, Florida, is also considered a four-star at Rivals. So, you know, that's impressive just to get those two guys. Two guys from not your footprint, you know, from Florida and Louisiana. Right. Uh, and, and ASU, especially in the Todd Graham area, I feel like they actually did recruit Louisiana pretty well. Because Louisiana, like, isn't that far from Arizona compared to, like, the rest of the South. Uh, so I think that's good. And, I, you know, to, having two guys, because they have uh, two guys from the same high school in Louisiana. Uh, yeah. Two defensive linemen, Landon Thomas from Zachary and Ashley Williams. And... I think that's great. Like, it's 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 just encouraging to see, uh, just especially after after the previous staff like didn't recruit at all. They had like eight commits. Now you have thirty two, and a lot of them. I think they're like, I don't know. I think there only is one holdover from the previous, and that would be a uh, CJ fight from Texas. Uh, I'm just. It's just, again, like, it's not the most sexiest class in terms of star ranking, but it's a really good start for Dillingham. Yeah, and I was just kind of looking through this this 247. Now you got me saying it. (laughs) uh, This ranking list or whatever. And the name Jake Smith really jumped out at me. Um, 2019 class, committed to Texas. He's kind of bounced around a little bit, but he was the the eighth rated wide receiver in the country when he came out four star uh 49th rated recruit according to 24 7 in the country um bounced around a little bit went from texas to usc and now he's at asu this year which is pretty interesting at the very least a name to watch but to get somebody who had that pedigree coming out of high school is is pretty interesting too and again uh notre dame prep uh, an arizona kid so um right just rising, uh, building up the, I guess, the uh, reputation in the minds of those those recruits is pretty big. Yep. Oh, apparently just uh, another kid, this guy, Josiah Cox, um, signed with ASU. So, again, we're going to we're going to miss. Uh, yeah. San Diego, California. Uh, Lincoln defensive back Josiah Cox announced moments ago that he will 
play for Arizona State. Um, I don't know exactly where it says he is in terms of a star ranking. I'd imagine um, I'd imagine he's a three star. But again, just another guy. Good to have. Uh, oh, there's one thing I'm looking for, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've kind of covered it in terms of like the big picture with his recruiting class. Uh, one guy I wanted to um, wanted to kind of focus in on uh, is this cornerback from because if you look at where these guys are coming from, it's mostly Arizona, Louisiana, California. Uh, you got the one guy from Florida, Texas, the one guy from Florida. But then there's this guy, Keontes Bradley from Mansfield, Ohio. And the reason why this guy sticks out to me is because he is, like, track speed fast. He's a cornerback. Um, for some reason, like, he wasn't getting Power 5 offers, which a lot of these guys that ASU were getting, like, it's – they have, like, group of five offers and Power 5 offers, you know, like they're three-star guys. So – uh it's not – again, like, they're not super sought after because those guys – most of those guys have already committed and made their decision. Um, but, yeah, here's what I'm talking about. Uh, Keontas Bradley, 10-8 in the 100-meter dash. It's freaking very fast. 21 uh, – yeah, 21.7 seconds in the 200-meter. So – and he's 6-2. So – Sure, he's not a four star, but that those are the type of guys you want to get if uh if you're recruiting, you know, if you're not going to bring in like the the super sexy class, you know, cuz that's a that's a guy who can develop into something better just cuz he has the physical tools to do so. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what you want. You want to bring in guys that you can mold, guys who have that raw talent. And if you're able to do that and you're able to um, help some of these guys reach that potential, it only makes it more enticing for in this era of the transfer portal to bring in more more and more guys and, and build up those classes. I'm excited for uh, – I know a lot of this has been – transfer stuff i'm trying to look oh yeah right here okay i'm seeing it now um the even the high school kids look pretty good too so i mean i'm excited to see where they go from here it looks like a pretty solid foundational class that you can build on right especially for we talked about it he's been in here for three and a half weeks kenny dillingham so to come out and do something like this right off the bat is is pretty promising for sure right uh and uh, again 24-7 isn't even showing everything. Uh, they also brought in a uh, uh, defensive lineman from Idaho State who I'm sure Charlie Ragel, former coach there, now on staff, uh, had a good uh, good evaluation on if he's coming to, up to the Power Five. Uh, so that's good. And then the one thing I'm looking for here is – It's just so many players, you know, like, we, like as an ASU fan, I have barely even been paying attention to recruiting basically the po- past whole year because there was nothing going on, you know. It was like, <laughs> they had like eight or nine guys committed beforehand, and it's it's just so different now. Like, that's that's kind of the thing that's just bouncing around in my head. It's like, even though... And I get it. Everyone's undefeated in the off season, so like, take this hope with a big grain of salt because, um, you know, we still have to play the games, and they have a, they have a decently tough schedule coming up. So, but the difference is, no one's expecting them. Like, if if, if you go seven and five next year, then like that's perfect. You know, like th- like it's the first year of a head coaching tenure, um, and I think that. I, I think that just building the depth in this class is super important, and I, I, I'm just excited to see what happens uh, with this staff with a whole other year of recruiting and um, getting getting more connected in the Valley, uh, because a lot of these guys, 
like over the weekend, I mean, they had a huge recruiting event uh, at in Tempe and they were doing pretty unique things. Like they had like a scavenger hunt, like around the ASU campus. And I think doing something like that, like that'll be a memorable experience for a recruit, you know, like, Oh, we like, instead of just being, you know, walking around the facilities, uh, like normal, you know, the staff, they they did something a little more and maybe it won't, it won't even matter. But like, I, I just like the creativity and the effort that's the thing. The effort is very obvious. Maybe maybe we'll set up a little scavenger hunt for you, Mark, to go on. I'm sure you'd enjoy that. I don't think I would actually. Okay. Well, I agree with you from the from the creative standpoint, right? Um, you definitely want to stand out in the mind of a recruit, and if a scavenger hunt is the way to do that, if that's your speed, Mark, then definitely, man. But I agree. It's thinking outside the box. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, well, in Dillingham, at his, I think in an interview or something, he mentioned like, I've recruited other places and you kind of, at other places, sometimes you like don't show them everything because whatever, there's like an undesirable element of the school or whatever. Like, like you steer them away from the, I don't want to say bad parts, but just not as exciting parts. The thing that Dillingham said is like, you don't even have, you don't have to worry about that here at ASU. Like, you can go anywhere. And like, I think that's great that like, yes, go look around the entire beautiful ASU campus. (laughs) Like, you know, go to to the Boulevard 1900. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Another guy um, that apparently a lot of the Devil's Digest, Sun Devil Source, uh, this guy from Red Mountain, Lennox Lawson. Uh, defensive back, he's regarded as a very good athlete, uh, three-star recruit. These are guys that, like, the previous staff, they it's like they didn't even they didn't even care about recruiting Arizona, you know? Yeah. And I get that not every Arizona recruit is going to end up being the next Todd Heap or Zach Miller or whatever former Arizona high school recruit that turned into a great ASU player, but it's just it, – it builds goodwill among the high school coaching community for one. And you don't want to like think of how dumb ASU looks for just totally like not even trying on Brock Purdy, you know? Yeah. I did see that tweet from uh, Brad Sesmat. Uh I mean, it doesn't make any sense to just like Arizona too, at this point now too prominent of a high school right. football pipeline to just completely ignore your backyard. I, I almost understand like from the fan perspective of like, are we really going to be in the mix for any of these guys? Like even it's just one of those States where it's like all of these guys are going to choose like the big players and everything like that. But there's a reason they do is because ASU has never really been like in the mix in terms of that. Obviously they've had, um, better eras, I guess, where, where in-state recruiting was much more significant, but not in the minds of high school students now, right? Yeah. So you, you kind of have to start to rebuild that because you're missing out on so much talent by completely ignoring this, this pipeline. And I think we're trending toward an approach based on the hirings that Dillingham has made and bringing in all of these prominent um figures from his past, which is highly predicated in the Arizona high school football scene, um, but also prominent figures from the high school football team uh, scene as it stands right now, right, um, yeah. with Juano and Mons and all of that. So I think it's trending in the right direction, but the era of just completely ignoring the, the backyard talent has to, has to end, and I think we're going to see that end finally. I don't know how much more – prominent they're going to get in the minds of high school students now at least in the short term yeah but at the very least they're trying which is much more than any of the other coaches have done I guess just Herm Edwards which is much more than what Herm Edwards did I guess is is but apparently at the end of the the Graham era it was like just super chaotic too which kind of makes sense Uh, yeah (laughs) good old CTG uh I want to talk about some of the some of the transfers going in and out of the program. Um, Let's talk about some of the guys that have left. I saw today Paul Tyson 
is committed to Clemson. Uh, likely is a backup there. Uh, but you know, good for him. You know, I mean, I, I just feel sorry for these guys that transferred here, like at this time last year, just entering into just such a crap show. Um, so good for him. You know, em- Emory Jones transferring to Cincinnati, which I hope he'll be able to play there, man. That would be, that would be a good, uh, bookend for his college career. Cause he's, he's kind of bounced around starting at, you know, beginning at Florida, ASU and now Cincinnati. So hopefully that works out for him. Um, who are some other guys that have left? Uh, well, a lot of uh, the specialists, 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 uh, Eddie Chaplitsky going off to USC. Does it, it seems like an odd place for a punter to go. Cause like how many times is USC even going to punt? Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a place to chill. I guess that'd be a nice, I feel like it depends on your perspective as a punter. Is it better to have to punt a lot? Or is it better to have to just, like, never punt? You punt in practice and then just hang out on Saturday. Like, I don't know. If I was a punter, that wouldn't be the worst destination. But granted, I'm not. So, and there's a reason I'm not. Um, But I guess it just depends on your perspective as a punter, Mark. We should do an episode where we dive in on the psychology of a punter. And, like, is it better to have to punt a lot? Do you want to go out and do that a lot? Or would you rather play for like you said, like USC or like the Chiefs, where you're just never punting? Yeah, you know, you get that's, paid to not do anything. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. You could think about it that way. Um, that uh, that should be. I mean, he was a first. He was a first team All Pac-12 punter. So like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the NIL deal that <laughs> maybe USC is a great uh, special teams NIL. Uh, earmarked section of their their NIL collective so uh I don't know but uh two guys transferred to Washington um defensive lineman Joe Moore and then today it was announced that Daniel Ngata went up to Washington so that's the Ngata one's interesting because he had previously like, tweeted out stuff about Burrito Express uh imagine that's going to be uh a done or a no longer uh, official NIL deal with him, but I'm sure he'll get something up in Seattle. So those are two guys gone. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. There are definitely guys still in the portal. Isaiah Johnson's in the portal. Uh, Omar Norman Lott's in the portal. Doesn't look like Elijah Badger's in the portal, though, and that's huge. That's um, really big. Yeah, and we know J- and Jalen Conyers is coming back, too, which is enormous, especially with how... Dillingham used tight ends last year in the Oregon offense. Him and, and uh, Messiah Swenson as well. Yeah, that's that's big. Messiah Swenson had moments where I remember talking about him. I think it was near the beginning of the year where we thought he was going to be massive, and then he kind of fizzled out a little bit. How much of a product of you know the yeah. situation was that? But like you said, if anybody's going to use their, hopefully Dillingham's going to be able to sort of tap into to what we saw early on out of Messiah Swinson, but he could definitely be a weapon in this offense as well. Yeah. So that's good. Um, but they had two guys uh, enter the portal and come back. Anthony Cooper, defensive end. Um, that's big. Any of these defense, any of these linemen that are in the portal that come back, uh, even if, you know, they're not like superstar players, that's still, Really good to have back. And then uh, probably the most significant portal entrant and then returnee uh, is B.J. Green. So, and he, I think he, he had like five sacks last year as a freshman. And it's good to keep someone like that on the team, obviously. And, uh, you know, maybe read between the lines on these. It's showing that ASU's NIL collective, uh, which was previously like non-existent, is a little more uh, sturdy than it once was. Definitely. Yeah, I think I, I even was driving the other day and heard like an ad for the uh, Sun Angel Collective on the radio. And it's oh, like, nice. yeah, they're, they're really trying to market that at the very least, which is which is good. And I, I don't think that this new staff is going to be like 
go into this age sort of kicking and screaming. We've already seen that they, they've hit the ground running, and I hope that they adapt to all of the nuances of, of modern college football recruiting, and I, I think that they're going to. You mean not every uh, uh, college football staff was super on board with NIL? Couldn't, I couldn't uh, think of a previous ASU staff that was like that. No, they were just into developing players. <laughs> I still can't believe Ray Anderson said that publicly. I just – yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to so talk about Ray Anderson. Right now. Oh my gosh, that was just so stupid. Um, for someone who is like an objectively smart person to go out and say that is just blows my mind. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I just again, still, you know, you still have to play the games. You know, everyone's undefeated in the off season, all this, but just good momentum at least. You know. And there's still time for more transfers. Yeah. And there's, there's still, excuse me, there's still more time for transfers to come in as well. So, uh, the early signing day is, uh, today, December 21st, and then there's the one in February. But since the early, the early signing day is like basically become the de facto signing day. Um, so it's just apparently like ASU's recruiting class was in, like, the 100s of, of all college football. They were in the 100s, and now it's, I think they're high school recruiting. Well, they just got another guy, so it has to update. It'll probably finish, like, low 50s, like, in the 58 range. And that's, you know, well, that's, that's not anything to – What? I said that that's a pretty solid climb. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not anything to ride home about, but it's also, like – Oh, like you're in at least like you're among Power Five teams, you know. You're not way down uh, in the hundreds, which just again just blows my mind. I know that there's the potential sanctions and everything, but it's just that it's insane that just what a what place they were in. Just yeah, that's way too low. Yeah, uh, for my liking. For mine as well. Uh, do you want to talk about Drew Pine? Uh, I know we touched on him a little bit, but what? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I didn't watch him play too much, um, but I mean, four star coming out of high school, played quarterback for Notre Dame this season. They went eight and four. Obviously, um, so he started as the backup. Yeah, started as the backup, played a little bit. I think he finished with twenty two touchdowns, six interceptions. Yep. So yep. didn't turn the ball over too much, which is always good. Um, I, I tend to err on the side of that's a positive thing when a quarterback doesn't throw interceptions. Uh, there's some groundbreaking analysis for you, but, uh, played well for Notre Dame on a big stage, right? That's a pretty prominent college football program. So, um, went through and looked at some top transfer lists and stuff. And he seemed to be for quarterbacks top 10 on most of those lists. Yeah. Um, so to get a guy in here like that, who's, who's, who was prominent coming out of high school, has accomplished a little bit at the collegiate level in terms of individual performance, um, especially, and this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when it came to looking for a transfer quarterback. I, ten, I, w- I was tending to think that those guys who were in the portal looking at Dillingham would look at Dillingham and think this is going to be a pretty um, appealing destination Right. Because of what he did with Bo Nix. And when Drew Pine committed to play at Arizona State, that was one of the prominent, uh, one of the prominent takeaways from sort of his statement about why he came here was he, it stood out to him what he, what, uh, Kenny Dillingham did with Bo Nix last season. So if we were, you know, we were hoping that that would play some sort of role in getting one of those transfer portal quarterbacks into, uh, into the program. And it, it seems to have done that. So if, if Kenny Dillingham can get something pretty prominent out of Drew Pine, who I believe he still has three years of eligibility left too. Uh, yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. If he can, if he can, I mean, obviously Bo Nick's turnaround was, was pretty substantial going from a fringe Heisman contender. Uh, or going from Auburn to, to a fringe Heisman contender. Not that he was very bad at Auburn, but he was never at the level that he played at this season. Um, I think that's 
dad's kind of like, I don't know, maybe he does. Maybe he turns Drew Pine into a pretty prominent college football quarterback. And then at that point, I think ASU becomes a very desirable quarterback destination. So there's a lot, the, the stakes are, it's not like make or break or anything by any means, but there, there's some pretty prominent stakes at play here yeah. with this Drew Pine transfer, I think. Yeah, and so the thing, how I'm looking at the Drew Pine uh, entering the program is, I think that he's not like a, I don't think he's like some like program savior type of quarterback. Like no. he's, he, he did start the year at Notre Dame as a backup. So let's just keep that in mind. I, there's a lot of excitement among ASU fans right now, but let's just keep that in mind. Um, and, but like you said, 22 touchdowns and two picks, um, had some good games against, uh, North Carolina, BYU, and granted, you know, those aren't the best defenses of all time, but he will be playing in the Pac-12. So let's remember that. Uh, I just think that it's good to have, he's solid, if nothing else, you know, like he's not, like, would you rather have Drew Pine or Graham Mertz from Wisconsin? You know, because Graham Mertz is reportedly going to transfer to Florida, and I'd rather have Drew Pine because he is not like Drew. How how, how tall are you, Colton? You're like six three. Uh, probably like six one, six two, something like that. Okay, well, he is shorter than you. Like he's Drew, Drew Pine's like my height. He's five eleven, um, and he's not like the most athletic guy in the world. Whereas like Graham Mertz has more, be- like, better measurables. But Drew Pine, I trust to, to run an offense better, you know. And if it ends up being Drew Pine starting at quarterback for ASU, then I'm not, like, expecting him to be, like, a Heisman contender, but I'm, I'll am i be like, okay, like, this guy's, like, solid, you know. He's competent. Um, and, it, and when you combine that with the Dillingham offense, that could be pretty interesting, you know. And, again, and, and this is all under the – expectation of like a seven and five, eight and four season would be fantastic next year type of thinking. So like this is every program, you know, there are different life life cycles or different expectations. So we're just coming out of the Herm Edwards era and hoping just let's just get back on the tracks type of thing. So, and I think Pine is capable of that, but here's the other thing. Like if Pine doesn't win the job or if it's Conover or Trenton Borgay, who's staying on the team, like, I'm good with that too, you know, like, but, and Dillingham, like, that's been his approach is like, we're just going to bring guys in and he hasn't made promises to people, which I, I think that's great to do as a coach is don't promise anything to kids because we've all been that age. You, you, you want the promise, but it's probably better to hear, Hey, like, we're not going to promise you anything and then have that be the truth as opposed to, Oh, you're going to be the starter. And then it turns out you're not going to be, you know, right. Yeah, you definitely don't want to make promises you can't keep. Right. And so I'm sure Pine knows that going in. I mean, obviously, these guys are all competitors. He's probably looking at, <coughs> you know, Borgay and Conover and the rest of the guys on the roster uh, and thinking, okay, like, I can I can beat these guys out, you know. So And ASU, uh, another transfer I didn't mention going out is Finn Collins, the quarterback. Uh, he's leaving, which makes sense, like – well, when you bring in these quarterbacks, like some of them are just going to leave. Like these guys want to play. So even right. though he's a younger guy, uh, they still have Dalen McLemore and uh, Bennett Meredith on the roster. So uh, they have enough quarterbacks. I, I would not anticipate them grabbing another quarterback out of the transfer portal. Uh, <coughs> so in terms of a numbers perspective, they're covered there. And then running backs, I mean, this this Cam, this Cam Scadabo guy, I'm excited to have him, man. I mean, I, I showed you some of the highlights. Like, what did what are your thoughts on him coming in? I mean, anytime you can get one of the most, uh, I, I think he was probably one of the most desired running backs in the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen guys who make that jump from, you know, the FCS ranks to the FBS ranks and everything like that. He seems obviously he's on an upward trajectory, right? Um, and anytime you can get a guy like that who is able to light up the FCS the way that he was is, is extremely important. And um, again, Dillingham's an offensive minded guy. He's going to find ways that he can use all the pieces at his disposal. We talked about it yeah. with 
hopefully his ability to get something out of uh, his tight ends with Conyers and Swinson and um, guys like that. So bringing in a running back like him, I think is extremely important. Um, and it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what Dillingham is able to do. It, it just continues to, to build up on that point of like, a deep recruiting class with a lot of strengths and a lot of different pieces where it's like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. And I think Scadabo is one of those guys. I mean, 3,550 rushing yards. Where was that last year? I can't, I can't imagine he ran for 3,000. No, yards. no, no. I don't know what this is. Is this, I think he's like, I think he had like 1300 yards last year. If I remember. Yeah. Um, now, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like three thousand rushing yards in a season. What? Forty-two touchdowns. It's probably a career at some point. <laughs> but this little highlight video. That I'm would be insane. No, I know that's like Madden numbers, man. But uh, yeah, I I'm trying to. Either way, obviously an extremely productive uh, career at Sacramento State. He's moving on. I think the coach at Sac State just got hired to be Stanford's head coach. Yep. yep. Um, so he's moving on, and it'll be cool. It'll be cool to see what he does here. Obviously, ASU has a pretty um, solid track record in the last couple of years of bringing in running backs who are able right. to produce immediately. Uh, and the guy who was kind of helping with that with Sean Aguano is still on staff. So. Um, he's coming to a solid situation and maybe seeing what other guys were able to do here helped him make that decision. So, so we'll see what he does, but, um, yeah, I'm excited to have him. It, it, there's always, it always seems like there's a running back coming in that we're, yeah. we're excited about every off season. So that's, that's well, pretty cool. And we're not even mentioning Tevin White, you know, mm-hmm. he was the only four star brought in in the last class and he looked he looked pretty good when given his opportunities last year and uh big body guy too. So like I'm excited about him. Obviously with Ngata leaving that uh means more carries for Scadabo, uh White and to, and to Carlos Brooks as well. So I'm looking at uh Scadabo's stats last year. Um one ninety five carries for thirteen hundred seventy two yards, seven touchdowns, seven yards per carry. That is insane. Like, yeah, that's nuts. I get that it's the I get that it's the FCS, so like that has to be taken into account. But seven yards per carry is uh, just insane average. And then he also thirty one catches for three seventy one yards and three touchdowns too. So like, do it all type of guy. Um, excited about having him on the team. Uh, yeah. So. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I'm just, it's just, I've said it, you know, probably three times already on this uh, podcast, but just having just a bunch of guys coming in is just so, such a good reset, you know. Definitely. Guys choosing to be here. Yeah. Uh, like you said, you keep talking about the depth, and I think that's the most important part is being able to fill out a, a team and having multiple guys who you feel comfortable with contributing. Um, and all of those things. I think it's it's pivotal for the first year in sort of a complete rebuild, right, or a complete overhaul of your program because that's essentially what this is. Um, and, and who knows how long that's going to take, but right now it, it seems like they're on the right track, and I think that's the most important most important part. Yeah. So overall, things are looking good, uh, at least in our view. Uh for ASU, um, probably going to finish, uh, probably going to finish like late low fifties in the uh, high school recruiting. And then probably maybe like right now they're 53 overall when you include transfers. So in the 50 range overall, and then since their transfer rank is 13, a lot of that is just due to the volume, but, um, which is smart play to your strengths right now. Yeah, exactly. So a, a solid foundation is being built um, in, 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 again, in a short amount of time, which that's the most impressive thing to me. Um, 
One more thing I wanted to touch on before uh, we talk about the uh, potential Pac-12 TV deal that's coming up. Uh, since the last time you were on this podcast, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes have made a coaching hire, uh, bringing in Coach Prime to Boulder. Uh, and I have one question for you, Colton. Are you jealous of this as an ASU fan? Jealous? Not, <laughs> you know, it's weird because I feel like we have, we couldn't have a better coach for this program than Dillingham, I feel like. Like, I think if it was anybody else, I would be a little jealous. I would be a little jealous that Colorado got Deion Sanders and everything like that. But I think Dillingham is exactly what this program needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything I've seen out of him so far is like, why, why would we want Deion Sanders? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel content. I'm not like, oh, that would have been so cool to have that. I think we're exactly where we need to be. So if it works out for Colorado, good. Um, but I, I think I feel very comfortable about where we're at with our situation. So uh, I'm not trying to to look at, you know, the grass on the other side or anything like that. I, I think we're – Colorado's in good shape, and I think we're in good shape too. So Right. Well, it's, it's definitely like the, – the thing with Dion that Dion does provide is he's going to have more – high-level talent in coming in right away. But we don't know what it's going to be like for Dion. When I mean, he's a good coach, and they've they've assembled a good staff, too. I'll, I'll give him that. Like, they got the Kent State head coach to be their offensive coordinator. Um, and he was a guy that was rumored to be, like, in head coaching uh, discussions. So I think from the Colorado, like, standpoint, because the thing with Dion is I just don't – how long is he going to stay at Colorado before – you know, Mike Norvell gets fired at Florida State or some other job comes open, right? Like, I just feel like if you're Colorado, you're you're making this hire knowing that he might stay for, like, three years. Uh, right. And uh, that's why I, I like the the hire of Sean Lewis as the OC, because then if, if Dion does leave, they can just promote him to be the head coach. But <clears throat> I guess I'm, I'm a little jealous of it from the – hype perspective and just the immediate talent coming in perspective. But right. like you said with Dillingham, like having Dillingham makes me less jealous than I otherwise would be if they hired Tom Herman or if they hired, uh, who was the guy um, they were considering? I, I don't even remember all the guys they considered because it felt so quickly that they were going to go to I Dillingham. Like, but wasn't Jim Mora on that list? Jim Mora. Yeah. Oh my okay. gosh. If we had hired Jim Mora, and I know that Jim Mora just went took UConn to a bowl game, and that does mean something. But mm-hmm. if they hired Jim Mora and then Colorado hired Dion, then that would be – we would have a whole different tone on this podcast right now. But uh, oh, who was the guy who was at Virginia uh, – uh, Bronco Mendenhall, too. Like, even though I like Bronco Mendenhall as a coach, I, I'd be much more – and, I mean, maybe Dillingham would be a terrible coach. Like, again, we don't know. Uh, but – it just feels like Dillingham, like, it feels like he's going to be here for a bit. Um, he clearly loves the program. Like, he was crying at the press conference. Right. And like, with, a guy, with a guy like Dillingham, if he if he does well, it's like it, he's talking about this being his dream job. I guess barring anything extreme, like, what what would be better to him? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if this is if this like is Alabama job, comes open and they offer him the job, then sure, like maybe he takes that. But that I mean, who know? Who even knows if that's a reality? But but even uh, then, I feel like if Alabama is offering Kenny Dillingham a job, ASU is going to be fine. Like he has built ASU into a exactly. Team. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic thing for ASU because that means that you've been good. So. Right. Um. Yeah, you know, but I will say this. I think it's good for the league. Like, it's good that Dion's in the Pac-12. I think it's just adds some more interest. I mean, think of how much think of how much Colorado football has been talked about in the past few weeks. <clears throat> After going one and eleven and being very close to going zero and twelve, like that that's just good all around. Even even if it's all just hype. Um, and another thing, like after the Herm Edwards era, where like. I feel like there was a lot of hype without a lot of like backing behind it. And maybe the Dion, like maybe that's what's going to happen in Colorado too. Like, I, you know, who knows, but 
I do think your point of if we didn't hire Dillingham, we would have felt much much more jealous about that hire. But we'll see. It should be interesting. Um, and the thing with Dion, like he's not really like so far. A lot of the recruits he's getting aren't like from the West Coast either, so it's not really affecting the uh, the Pac-12 f- footprint uh, just yet, anyway. So. Uh, and the other thing, the other thing that I just find crazy, and I know that this is what he's been doing at Jackson State, is just having the the film crew with him all the time. Like, yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty crazy. I loved how, uh, and who knows, maybe this is just Travis Hunter kind of like, but it, it felt like there was a role reversal kind of, or like, do you remember when Deion Sanders was like, yeah, Travis Hunter is gonna be joining me real soon, like all that stuff. Do you remember when he said that? Uh, I remember he, he when he said his kid would come, and it's official. Yeah, so he, he, there was a quote that Deion Sanders said that Travis Hunter would be joining him real soon. Mm-hmm. And then Travis Hunter put out a video, and he's like, well, I'll go if it's what's best for me, but I'm going to look at other stuff. Like, I'm not committing to that right now. Oh, okay. It was like, it was kind of like, it's so wild that a kid was able to say, like, okay, thanks, Deion Sanders, but... I'm going to take a little bit more time on this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it, it's, it's so many of, options. Like, he could go literally anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, who knows? Maybe he does end up at Colorado. But it was kind of wild that it was, like, it was the, the student putting the ice or the uh, putting the water on the fire, so to speak, where Deion Sanders is like, yeah, he's definitely coming here. And everybody's trying to, like, break that Travis Hunter's committing to Colorado or whatever. And then Travis Hunter's like, no. Pump the brakes. It just felt like, how is how is he going to be the one telling Deion Sanders to relax? You know what I'm saying? I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yep. So we'll see. It, again, it's it's going to be exciting. I'm happy. I think Colorado made a great hire because even if Deion crashes and burns, what like Colorado's just going to go back to sucking like they were before? Right. You know, like, there's literally no there's literally no downside. Yeah, it's swinging for the fences, and that's what you have to do if you're Colorado, I think. Yeah. So, one thing I wanted to touch on. Oh, my gosh, coughing again. It's <coughs> getting over the cold. Yeah, I know. One thing I wanted to touch on was it, it was a little blurb from the Sports Business Journal on Monday um, from John... I don't, John Allrand, it's pronounced, uh, it's spelled O-U-R-A-N-D, probably Allrand is his last name, assuming. Uh, okay. So, writes for the Sports Business Journal, knows his stuff in terms of TV deals and conference partnerships and all that. Um, and in his uh, prediction, he, he had a uh, prediction story. And this is what it says regarding the Pac-12. It says, Amazon gets Pac-12 rights. ESPN will be prepared to split the Pac-12's media rights with Amazon, but will not offer the conference significantly more than it pays the Big 12. That will lead the Pac-12 to sell almost its entire media package to Amazon for a price that is significantly high, or, sorry, a price that is slightly higher than what the Big 12 gets from ESPN and Fox. The Pac-12 will then carve out a handful of primetime games that it will sell to CBS. So basically the big picture here is a lot of the Pac-12's next media deal will be with Amazon. And what do you think about that? Like, I, You know, from the fans' perspective, I love it. Like... Mm-hmm. I, I have Amazon Prime. Most people do. It's not that hard to get it. Even if you're a Pac-12 fan and you're like, yeah, I want to watch these games, you get the Prime subscription and you're able to watch them. I mean, it's so much better than having all of these. Well, I guess ASU isn't really the team that's on. I guess they play on FS1 sometimes or, you know, get the late ESPN game or whatever it is. But, you know, fans want to watch all of the games, not like two or three of the games every season. And with the Pac-12 network, you just can't. They're on maybe four providers. Like, those of you who have Pac-12 network are very much 
few and far between, right? Like (laughs) not a lot of people are able to access it. So hearing that it's going to be on a platform that's extremely accessible, it's something where you don't necessarily have to have a cable package or anything like that. It's a a streaming provider. I think that's excellent for the fan, the Pac-12 fan at least. Yeah. Um, In terms of, and I agree with a lot of the responses to this. I was kind of reading through them in terms of, exposure and the casual fan who's just kind of flipping through and things like that, maybe it's not as good for the Pac-12, but for ASU, it doesn't matter as much. It's it's the Pac-12 as a conference, when you're looking at it through the lens of being competitive with other conferences, right? I think that's the biggest downside is like the casual fan isn't going to be able to flip through channels and find a Pac-12 game as easy as they would have been. But at the same time, for Pac-12 fans, especially of teams like ASU or some of the other programs that aren't getting on ESPN as often as an Oregon or a Washington or somebody like that, I think this is great. Um, so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. I can see both perspectives on it. But as an ASU fan, I'm extremely excited. I'll be able to watch. So that's, yeah. that's good. And there's two things that uh, stick out to me among this potential deal with Amazon. <clears throat> Man, is that this would lead? This would probably lead to the Pac-12 teams getting paid more per school than the Big 12. Maybe not by a lot, but uh, it would keep you competitive with the Big 12 and the ACC. You know, is in the next tier of Power Five conferences behind the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, and then another big deal with it is uh, more control over kickoff times. You know, a lot of these, a lot of Pac-12 fans have complained about late kickoff times uh, being the only option, or not the only option, but being very frequent. Um, and, you know, I mean, you could argue that Christian McCaffrey lost the Heisman in 2015 because of too many late kickoff games. Um, yeah. No, that that was one of the bigger trends. Michael Penix probably, I, mean, I think UW had a lot of late games, and Michael Penix probably lost a a. Heisman, like, I don't think he would win it. He, he wouldn't have beaten Caleb Williams, but he probably would have finished higher if you were playing a little bit more games that are more accessible for the majority of the country, you know? Um, so that is important. Um, I do, I hope, like, it's not going to be exclusively to Amazon. That's the big thing. You still need to have, and that, the, the article mentions primetime games on CBS, uh, that I like, and, I just wonder if it'll only if it'll just be Amazon and CBS or Amazon CBS and then maybe you still have some late games on ESPN, you know. Because ESPN isn't want to give up having those late games. Like as annoying as they are, it's still the most rated thing on at that time slot, you know. So if if that happens, I think that would be great and you know, I think that it would I just don't see uh any conference any teams leaving, uh, you know, in this cycle, maybe five years from now or whatever they will. But uh, I think that's what I like about it is it's a security thing. And partnering with Amazon, yes, I get that there would be <coughs> issues in terms of you wouldn't be able to flip the channel to the Amazon. You'd have to exit out of your TV app and go to Amazon. But, like, how much of a – barrier is that really you know literally not at all yeah i know (laughs) you click the home button you click the up arrow and then you click the middle button i know exactly and i've seen and like there they might even come up with like a separate app there might even be like an es or an amazon pac-12 app through fire tv or through whatever provider yeah like where you don't even have to scroll through and find the games it's all on one app so, like, if that's the case, it's literally as simple as switching over to your app, which if you're using, if you're not using a cable box or, like, a satellite box and you have them all, which, I mean, nobody, I, I mean, I don't. I don't know a lot of people who do. Right. Most people are on, like, Hulu Live or whatever it is. Right. You're right. already on the Fire Stick anyway. And at which case, if you're watching a game on CBS and then the, the Big Ten game is about to kick off, you have to switch over to Fox anyway. 
Yeah. Like it, it's not, it, it's really as simple as changing your channel as it is. I think the narrative of like the casual fan isn't going to want to switch over is being a little overblown because it's not really that hard. If you want to well, watch Oregon, you're going to watch Oregon. Right. And the other thing is like the casual fan has been ignoring the Pac-12 anyway. So like right. you need to do, like it's important to get with Amazon just because like it's important to have more money per school. Like that cannot be understated you know and And so accessible you're you're giving i feel like there would be very few pac-12 fans who would be upset with this the only people that would feel if they even felt it which i'm sure they wouldn't are the casual fans who it's like oh one less game that i can switch over to on my direct tv remote like yeah the the only group and i'm not even trying to say this is like from a rivalry perspective is I've seen a lot of U of A fans that don't want to do this and a, a few of their like media members and cause they want to go to the big 12. They just want to go to the big 12, which I don't understand if I was a U of A fan, I don't understand why I would want, why I'd want to go to the big 12 cause they want to go for basketball reasons. But if you stay in the big 12 in the pac 12 as U of A, you will be the undisputed best basketball school. Cause you say undisputed. Like there's not even an argument, even if ASU beats them uh 10 days from now, which that should be a really good game. I wish I could go to that, but um, they will be the clear number one in terms of basketball schools in the Pac-12. They will not be that in the Big 12. They'll probably be third because they're going to be behind Kansas, and U of A fan can say that they're a bigger brand than Baylor, and maybe they are, but Baylor just won a national championship. You know, U of A has been very consistent. Like, I'm not trying to hate on U of A's basketball program, but Baylor is more a more recent national champion. They have the coach who just won the national championship. And the other thing is, for U of A, the schedule is a freaking grind in the Big 12. Like, you could argue maybe that prepares you better for the tournament. Like, I don't know. You know, like, people say Gonzaga isn't prepared enough for the tournament. But they've made the championship game twice in the like. If you make it to the championship game, like, I, I just don't know how. You're, yeah, you're prepared for the tournament. And you have yeah. made it to the Sweet 16 last year. And I mean, they, they did lose. Yeah, they lost to they Houston. They lost to Houston. Yeah. Guess what? Who's going to be in the Big 12? Houston. Yeah, Texas Houston Tech. another one that's, like, a very prominent basketball school now. Obviously, they were just number one in the country a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I, I don't really understand that from a U of A perspective. You still have a competitive enough programs in the Pac-12, right. and you get to be the top dog, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Oregon obviously haven't had been bad this year, but yeah. um, it's still like San Diego State like, coming in, they'll be a good program. Schools have at least been prominent at some point in the last five years and are very capable of getting back to that point. That's well, kind of what the Pac-12 is. Yeah, and the other thing from a U, so that's why. Some, I'm not trying to make a broad brush statement here. Like, this is not all U of A fans. This is just some that I've seen on Twitter that they're like, oh, it's going to be so difficult changing between regular TV and Amazon. And I I just don't buy that. Like, and not at all. Yeah. I just don't buy that at all. Um, And it's funny. You look at the, this is from a tweet from Stuart Mandel, and he says, uh, this is quite the prediction from RNSPJ on Pac 12's media deal. Would not be keen if a Pac-12 fan. And then all the comments are like Pac-12 fans being like, actually, this would be pretty sweet. Like, yeah. so that's what was funny is like, what yeah. what's wrong with this? And it's, I don't know. All, all I'm looking through the, the lens that I'm viewing it through is the lens of a fan that has gotten to watch like three or four games every year because yeah. every other game is on the Pac-12 network and there's no accessibility to the Pac-12 network. Yeah, like, I'm just excited to be able to watch any game that I want from. A I don't even have Amazon. Stuff. I will buy Amazon Prime for this. Like, and you could you could buy Amazon Prime and pay like seven bucks a month, or you could get a Directv. Uh, I'm gonna slipped up there. A Directv membership and pay a hundred dollars a month on a two year contract just to get the pack. Actually, I don't even think Pac-12 has or Directv has Pac-12. No, I, I don't think only, that, Cox is like the only provider that has Pac-12. So even if you wanted to go that route, you still have limited options. It's literally the least convenient network that has ever been created. Yes, yes. Well, and the other thing for U of A, like the thing with these schools trying to lead conferences, like 
<coughs> I kind of get it from Oregon and UW's perspective uh, in terms of football, like wanting to go to the Big Ten, even though the Big Ten, like, I don't think they're going to add anyone this in the near future. Maybe like five years from now they will. But with the 12-team playoff that has six automatic bids for conference champions, I don't know why you would try to leave your conference to go to a better conference other than for an ex- a big increase in money. Like, I just don't get it. And the other thing with U of A, like, how many U of A kids that go there are from California? Probably like half their student body similar to ASU, right? So now you want to go to a Texas-based conference? What? What school did you say? U of A. Like, oh, yeah. They probably have an extremely similar <coughs> student body base to ASU, and so many of those kids are from California. And so it's like, oh, if you're the school president, you're like, oh, okay, let's go to this conference because it's a better basketball conference, even though it's a Texas-based conference. I, I just – I'm saying this as an ASU fan. If I were a U of A fan, I don't know why I'd be, like, pining to get to the Big 12. But that's just me. You know, maybe they have a better – explanation but uh anyway hopefully this deal gets done um because i i just don't want to hear about conference realignment stuff uh at least for the next few years um it'll happen again of course but i hope it happens and you know i'm just maybe i'm being too optimistic here but i'm just not that worried about Amazon, especially if you also have some of the other big primetime games on another regular TV channel, and then maybe you still have some of the late games on ESPN. <coughs> I think that's Definitely. the best of both worlds. And maybe you make some more money than the Big 12 and the ACC. So, you know, maybe we're being too optimistic. Who knows? This could look stupid in a few weeks. But uh, I am not opposed to that. Uh, option. So, anyway, sorry if your U of A fans listening to this and upset at us. I'm sure they. There's a lot of them. I'm sure. I'm sure they're just tuning in all the time. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, with that, um, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, ASU has nabbed a few more recruits, gotten a few more transfers, and uh, tonight ASU basketball playing at San Francisco. Hopefully they can enter the uh, U of A game with just one loss. So. You know, it's it's been a while since I've said this, but things are actually kind of looking up for ASU right now in their uh, main sports. So good times. And uh, Colton, I'm I don't know when the next time we'll we'll record will be. Probably either next week or into the new year. But uh, either way, Merry Christmas and uh, to everyone listening, Happy Holidays. And uh, yeah, that'll conclude this episode. And uh, go Devils. <laughs>